Welcome to the modern Babylon. This is the cultural contrarian. Wanted to share something that happened to me today. Uh, some folks that know me know that I have to routinely go to the doctors and get some blood work done. And depending upon what's going on with my blood work may require me to uh, get some replenishment. And today just happened to be one of those days <clears throat> that my numbers in certain categories were very low. And I had to uh, sit around and wait for some blood to arrive and kind of get topped off with some from fresh blood. But while I'm waiting through that, they, they have to go through this process of typing and testing to make sure you get the right blood and you have to wait for it to be delivered and it takes a while to transfuse it. But as I, I go to this facility quite frequently, it's not a clinic, it's a, a full medical practice that's designed for people like myself that, that need those kind of treatments or transfusions or infusions, what have you. And uh, because of my frequency, I've had the opportunity to train the staff for how to deal with a person such as myself that chooses to be free and stand in and on my rights. <clears throat> and as time gone by, uh, they've they've been they know me on a first name basis. They know my birth date. They they know everything about me medically, and it's always a greeting when I come in. Very pleasant. Unfortunately, the people in the the waiting rooms, um, they're, the scenery is constantly changing. Some people are familiar. Most of the people are new, and many of them are still wearing masks. And that the people that are the nurses behind the counter have been prepared how to deal with people when I come in without wearing a mask. And I've, I've had very pleasant conversations with them. I, I said, listen, I can't med medically tolerate a mask. I, I did this months and months and months and months ago, so this is not new for them at all. But when someone new is there, I, I let them know that I can't medically tolerate a mask. I will sit far, as far away as I possibly can from anybody in the, the waiting area. I will turn my back to those people in the waiting area as to not to draw attention to myself. I'm not there to cause them any distress. And I don't want anybody to come up and, and talk to me because I just want to be left alone and, and be in the moment as to what I need to have done for myself. And I understand there's lots of people there of many worse conditions than I do. And I say, if, if someone does approach me, I'm going to say, um, try to interact in a love thy neighbor kind of way. And if they sense that there's anything tension building, that they come up and intervene. Because I don't want to be identified as causing a disturbance. Heavens, I don't want to do that. And I've told them, you're pleased to have me go in a different waiting area. Uh, you can have a conversation with that person and try to de-escalate them. And if you need to move me, I'm totally fine being moved because I don't want these people to have an emotional breakdown because of what I choose to do for my body. So I had one of those situations today that this facility has an incredibly strong mask recommendation. It's not a mandate. The mandate has been taken down, but they have a strong recommendation that you come in wearing a mask. And I've had to train the security guards from walking in as well. But we had one of those situations today. 
and the nurse saw the tension building with an elderly person trying to get involved in the conversation with me. And she came over and she interacted with this person and said, listen, this person here is quite a bit. Uh, he prefers to be left alone. I would encourage you to, to leave them alone. If you cannot control yourself, I may have to call the security on you. This person has been a long-term patient of ours and we understand his needs and you took it upon yourself to approach this person. So I would encourage you to just go sit down, mind your own business, or I will have the security come and have you removed. And I thought, oh my gosh, this was a person advocating for my freedom. And I can't imagine how hard that was for them to do that. So I went in and I got my, my infusion and it's rather exhausting, rather exhausting. It takes a number of hours to, to do what the procedures that I had done. Oh, funny, funny side note. Um, bear with me just one second. Because my body has been ravaged with some of the poisons that have been put in my body, my veins have been incredibly abused. Oh my gosh, they've been so abused. And based upon the amount of needles that I've been put in my arms, they've just, the veins have collapsed. They've gotten, uh, what do they call that? Like a keloid? It's like scar tissue around the veins. I'm one of the very few patients in there that have had their veins laced with a needle, which is an interesting thing. Whoa. I don't encourage anyone to get their vein laced. But it's very, very difficult for me to, one, get blood drawn. When I go in for my blood draws, it's very difficult for the nurses to, to get a blood. And those are just little, little tiny butterfly needles. So part of my practice when I go in to get my, my blood drawn every week is that the nurses there know me as well. And we say a little prayer before we go in. And I say, I know you're not trying to hurt me. Not at all, but I'm just a very difficult person to stick. And it generally takes three, sometimes four, maybe even five times before they can get a, a good vein to draw the blood. So when I go downstairs to get my infusion, which is a much bigger needle for the, oh gosh, for that needle, much bigger. And it's very difficult to, to get me. We've actually had to move. <laughs> this is funny had to move from going in my hands, my wrists, my arms. We've had to go, now we're down to my legs. One of the very unusual places to, to get an infusion is in the leg, but we can't get the, when we give up doing the arms four times, we go down to the leg. And that's not the most comfortable place to be getting infused because you have, to lay, <laughs> you have to, to lay down. But it's gotten to the, the point that my faith is known inside that community that uh, we start off with prayer because none of the nurses want, want to hurt. So I was very pleased to have my nurse today advocate for me. Sometimes advocating for myself can be quite exhausting and it's very hard to reason with unreasonable people. I don't know why I shared that story, but I was just thankful for the nurse this morning and, and what she did for me. So last evening, 
I was doing my evening research and reading and studying. And I was um, going through some Supreme Court cases and like Lambert versus California, which talks about ignorance of the law. There's no excuse for ignorance in the court of law. That was decided in the Supreme Court with Lambert versus coming uh, Lambert versus California. And the excuse of ignorance has a little bit of weight at the time of sentencing, but it has zero weight during a criminal proceeding. So I, I shared some information regarding what I learned in, in diving into that into more detail. But I was doing specific digging relative to law enforcement or, or criminal code purpose. What is the purpose of the criminal code? And I, I shared that uh, publicly for people to, to learn what the purpose of the criminal code is. And you'd be interested to find that it's more, the purpose of the code is more about protecting the citizens than it is attempting to incriminate them. But we've become accustomed to us being in a position of, I guess, an interrogation or a questioning and, and whatever we say can and will be used us in a court, in a court of law. Um, I don't think my audience is really going to be ensnared in the criminal activities, such things as stealing things or killing people. I don't think that's my audience. My audience may have the tendency or opportunity where they may interact with public servants and we may be misguided in what that expectation is or should be. So I'm reading through Lambert versus California and then I was diving into the health code. This is federal health code and then state health code. I was sharing information as to what the, the legal process is for making medical determinations about the law about quarantine. What's the law say about quarantining someone? Then I was reading about what, what's been known as the Baker Act and what is required for the Baker Act. And <laughs> when you read through some of the things on the Baker Act, you can see there's a tremendous amount of subjectivity and how there's room for latitude and interpretation. And it doesn't require a medical professional to make that initial, initial determination. That a, a law enforcement officer can make a subjective interpretation about having someone medically detained and then put in medical for evaluation. And they have a period of time in which they're going to be in that facility, which are going to be medically evaluated. Now, it could come to a quick determination that there, that this was not for cause. But again, the, the, the statement is you may beat the charge, but you'll never beat the ride. So it's very interesting diving through that and sharing this with, with some folks as to what their thoughts were. Had they seen this? Had they heard about it? It was very enlightening. So I continued down this journey. I'm just going to be doing little sound quips here and, here and then. Um, just sharing what my journey is like in, in researching and studying and sharing with people based upon the questions that they bring to me. And this, the 302, actually was a, a request that came from a friend of mine who was having some issues with her sister in the hospital. And she called me in a panic and was wanting to know what to do with her sister. 
And I, I'm not a medical professional, but she trusted me as a friend that I had enough knowledge to help provide her some counsel. And the counsel that I gave to her was that she needs to contact a medical professional immediately, psychologist, psychiatrist, in relationship to the decisions that are happening with her sister. And here's a little, little tidbit of information if you didn't know it, that when you're in the hospital, you go to the emergency for, I don't know, whatever, maybe you have a broken leg and they're gonna treat you for the broken leg, but for some reason you disagree with the treatment modality that they may be recommending for you. Maybe they're going to try to do something on the wrong leg. You are not compelled to stay in the hospital. You are not being restrained to stay in the hospital. You're doing, you're staying in the hospital under your own consent. So at any time, absent of you signing paperwork that you're committing yourself to the hospital, you have the ability to leave. So when I was getting treatment and I was inpatient for a while, I was wandering the halls because I was not restrained to my room. I was able to move. I was able to move to the point that I would go outside the hospital and walk around the city block pulling my chemo tower with me. I wanted that freedom. That freedom was part of my own treatment and therapy. So I just wanted to share that little piece of information that you're not obligated to stay in the hospital. While it may be to your best benefit based upon your, your uh, treatment needs, but if it becomes suspicious and that they may not be treating you based upon what you believe is your best care or somebody is telling you this is not your best care, pull out the things that are in your arms, hold, hold pressure on them, put, put a Band-Aid and walk out. Get your clothes and walk out. You don't have to stay there. So I just wanted to share today's musings, a little less formal, a little bit broader context as to who the cultural contrarian is. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.